This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm speaking today with um, Tempa Kohler, who is the co-founder of a, a nonprofit company called Special Needs and Treats. And it's Special Needs, K-N-E-A-D-S, which I'm going to ask you to explain, Tempa, as we get the, uh, the ball rolling in our conversation today. All right. That sounds great. Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, my understanding is that you are uh, located in Georgia. You've opened in 2013. Yes. And beyond that, I would love for you to just tell us, start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and um, and how Special Needs and Treats came to be. All righty. Um, well, my husband and I um, have been married um, for 35 years. And we um, are both from Missouri originally, and my husband um, had a job opportunity in Georgia, and that's how we wound up in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have two children. Our daughter is soon to be 35. Um, Married, we have three grandchildren. And then we have our son, Bradley, who will be 30 on Saturday. Oh, happy birthday, um, Bradley. (laughs) Thank you. I'll let him know that. Um, And whenever we got ready to move to Georgia, my husband and I were looking for... um, a certain school district, um, because Bradley was born with a disability, which I will get into. Okay. And um, we chose Gwinnett County because Gwinnett County is pretty much known for their special um, special population community that they have. And they're, um, we just loved Gwinnett County. It was just awesome for Bradley and what he got as far as his education. Um, what, when Ashley was born, we were both 17. We were very young. Mm-hmm. And, but she was, per se, what you would call a normal baby. You know, when they handed her to us, you know, her eyes were open. She was looking around, um, you know. And so when Bradley was born and he was not doing that, I know you're not supposed to compare children, <laughs> but he was not doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he held his eyes closed for three days. Mm-hmm. He um, was never, he was never content. And whenever you would hold him, he would make little whimpering noises, you know, almost like there was just something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I, I couldn't figure that out. Um, at six weeks old, he had his first double ear infection and ran fevers of 106. Mm. And that is really where the, the journey began, that there was just something not right. Mm-hmm. Um, it took us until the age of seven to find out what exactly was wrong with him. We were told... Um, Many, many times. We had been to so, see so many doctors. We would pull up to a tall building, and he would scream and cry because he knew he was going in to see a doctor or, or knew something was not going to be fun. Mm. Um, and so we had been told that he was um, OCD. We were told that he would never talk. We were told that he was um, autism. And, of course, 30, well, 27, 23 years ago, when you heard the word autism, you just automatically thought, they sit in a corner, they have to, you know, clap or flap their hands and rock back and forth. They don't look at you. They don't hug you. Mm-hmm. And that was my perception at that time of what autism was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I know I know he doesn't have that. Um, but we were getting ready to take him to the Mayo Clinic um, because I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. I've seen too many doctors and nobody's giving us any answers. And so I went to see this one final doctor at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, and I really hate to say that I cannot remember her name off the top of my head, but she said, well, I'm going to explain to you why he is not 
autistic, why he is not obsessive compulsive, why he's not ADD, and she just went through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's great. You've told me what he's not. Can you tell me what it is? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, do you have any other children? And I said, well, yes, we have a daughter. And she said, well, how is she? And I said, well, she's fine. Um, you know, no problems in school or anything like that. And she said, well, then I doubt that this is what it is because usually when it affects one, it affects all. But she said, we're going to test him for fragile X syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I said, and what's that? And she said, well, let's say, you know, on the X chromosome. And she said, it just means that one of your X's is bad. It has like a little tail on it. And she said it can cause, you know, mental impairment. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, you know, and then after that, then we're going to do a CAT scan to find out what's wrong with him, right? And she said, yes, you do not have to go to the Mayo Clinic. And I know then, I know now it was a God thing because I looked up and she had graduated. She had gone to the Mayo Clinic for part of her study. Um, <laughs> so the Mayo yeah, Clinic came was, to you was, through Kansas City. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yep. And so she said, well, it's going to take about six weeks to get the blood work back. And I'm like, okay. So on my way home, I stopped at the library to ask them if they had a book on something called Fragile X. They all looked at me like I was crazy. Mm -hmm. But they looked it up, and they said, well, we had three copies, but two of them were gone. And I said, well, I'll take that third one. Mm -hmm. And I started reading it, and I started crying, and I called my husband. And I said, someone has followed us around for for seven years and wrote a book, and I did not know that they were there because it was pretty much textbook. And so I didn't need the I didn't need the blood work at that point. Right. Um, but also knowing and looking at him, I can look back over my whole family history. And we did go to Colorado after that because that's where the foremost doctor, Dr. Randy Hagerman, is at um, for fragile X kids. And um, she was there when we went to see her, but she was on sabbatical. But we got to see some of her other, um, you know, people that work with her, and it was an amazing trip. Nothing earth-shattering. I guess I was thinking, oh, they're going to tell me how to cure him. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that didn't happen. And we learned a lot, but family history, because we had to do a family tree. My dad is is the youngest of 12. He had an aunt that also had 12 children. And somewhere in those 12 and 12, there is fragile X somewhere. Now, again, not confirmed by testing because people didn't used to talk about it. Right. You know, and I'm like, I tell, I tell everybody because I'm like, if I can help one person, then I'm going to help that one person. Mm-hmm. But I can look back on people in my family that I knew and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fragile X. I mean, just the way they act, the way they look. And so it was just all throughout our family. My dad was a carrier. He passed it on to me. I'm a carrier. Our daughter got a good X from me. She did not get a bad one. So mm-hmm. she is not even a carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's where our journey started. And wow. it's... Um, it's been a long one. <laughs> so let me. So, so first of all, thank you because that's a very certainly a story that I think you've you've obviously shared before, and I I love what yes. you said about if you can help one person, um, you want to because as you probably know, um, so many families with children on the spectrum or children with fragile X, um, of which there can be similarities, but of course they are two different, yes. Um, yes. very different things. Um, often feel isolated and that their experience is like yes. no one else's. So I love it when families make the choice to share their story. Um, I do want to just backtrack a little bit um, because you referenced a very strong uh, feeling that um, when somebody mentioned autism and you knew you know, in your mind what autism was, that you knew that wasn't what he was struggling with. Um, can you, sure. just, can you, like as a young kid when he was seven, other than when he was, knew he was going to the doctor and he didn't like that, what was different? Was he not engaging in stereotypical behaviors? Was he generally 
a, a well, you know, in good spirits? I mean, where did he? Where were his struggles, and where were his joyful, you know, really strong um, and and success moments? Right. And now I can tell you, I, and I have to say that I do not keep up a lot with the fragile X community, meaning I don't. I don't really follow what they're researching and what they're doing. Yeah. And it's just because we're so busy with the nonprofit. Yeah. Um, but I do know that they have, you know, started saying that it's definitely, you know, autism is in there. And mm-hmm. I do know that. Um, but looking back on it now, um, we would try to take him places. He hated to be in a stroller. He hated to go to the mall. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what kid hates to be pushed in a stroller? Well, all of a century, he just he couldn't handle it. Yeah. We tried to take him to the circus one time. And he just lost it because there were so many people, so many noises, so many mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, again, what kid, what kid doesn't like the circus? But... So that was, you know, really kind of eye-opening. But the other thing was he was very, in in our group, like, you know, he was meaning, you know, just our friends group, our family group, he was very social. He would go up to people, he would hug them, he would talk to them, he was happy, um, he liked to sing, you mm. know. Um, and again, in my mind, what I knew about autism, that did not that did not go at that time. Right, that social, so, social and, connectivity, sure. Right. And so I just didn't think that he had autism. But also with looking back at my family and knowing that there was some other things in our family, of course, they had never been diagnosed with autism because they had never been diagnosed with anything. But I just did not, I just had this feeling that it, that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and even today, like I said, he'll be 30. There are some things he's right on track with a 30-year-old, but then there's sometimes, you know, you're going to look at him and he's still doing things that a seven-year-old would do. Um, you know, he still likes to watch cartoons and, you know, different things like that, which, you know, he still believes in Santa Claus and he still believes in the Easter Bunny. And, you know, so there are some, which in my opinion is great because I will always have my child, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I look at those things as a blessing and not a hindrance because he is so innocent mm-hmm. in those types of things. And does, um, does Bradley live then, with you? Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. He does okay. live with us. Okay. Um, that is one question that we, you know, got a lot getting ready to come out of what we call Strive here in Georgia because he did a four-year work program mm-hmm. where they took him to work, um, you know, Monday through Friday. And that was one of the conversations with his IEP that we would always have was, well, what is your plan for when he turns 18? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, he, uh, we plan on him living with us for as long as he can. And we have, we have plans for our long-term goals that we have it in our minds that we're going to have our house paid for when we retire. Mm-hmm. And then we're gone, it will be his house. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a special needs trust set up for him and we have things in place with our daughter because when, our son-in-law came to ask for her a hand in marriage. He said that also includes Bradley. And me and my husband just about, about lost it because that yeah. was amazing. You know, so I know that they're going to be there to help. We're fortunate. We do have a we do have family that is going to step in. But I know there's some people that don't have that. Yeah. But we would then say, well, here's his house. And if it needs to be turned into a home of some sort, or we, you know, then hire somebody to come in and be a, 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 you call it a nurse or whatever, but to check on him and to make sure he's okay. But I mean, that's our plan for our child. I know everybody has to have a different plan. Um, you know, and some people look at, you know, group homes and things like that. And right now that's just not the route that we're going. 
No, and I think, and actually, even for those who are looking at group homes, that what's happening in this country, um, certainly in New York, where, where we're located, but throughout the country, is that all families are really having to look at a lot of different options because uh, it's not an automatic, um, you know, guarantee that that's going to be available. So I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, so Tempa Kohler, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd like to get more into the um, the nonprofit special needs and treats and okay. find out what Bradley's doing now and what you're doing. But again. I just do want to say thank you for sharing um, so much detail of your background and Bradley's uh, Bradley's story so far. This is one in fifty nine. Right. This is one in fifty nine. The weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. If you're a mom or a dad to a child with severe autism, we know your struggles are real. Sleep deprivation, difficulty managing responsibilities, and feelings of isolation are among the challenges parents report every day. At Anderson Center for Autism, we can help. Our mission is to optimize the quality of life for people with autism. In doing so, we hope to optimize the quality of life for you and your family as well. We love what we do, and we're here for you. Learn more at andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I'm speaking with Tempa Kohler, who's the co-founder of a nonprofit in Georgia called SpecialNeedsAndTreats.org. And Tempa, welcome back. Thank you. So we, we spent the first half of the show with you sharing a really, I think, beautiful, touching story of um, your whole family with the um, sort of star of the story being your son, Bradley, who's about to have a birthday. And, um, and what you and your husband and your daughter went through in terms of, and Bradley went through in terms of seven years of searching for a diagnosis to find that he has fragile X syndrome. Yeah. So. Since we've kind of you've told that story, let's get into special needs and treats. And I just want to again reiterate how it's spelled because it's special needs k n e a d s and treats dot org. So um, all I know so far was that you founded it in 2013. So tell us the rest of the story, starting with what is it? Okay. Well, we are a nonprofit bakery. We do employ special needs adults. Um, we have 29 right now that are either employed or volunteer with us, and we have 198 on a waiting list trying to get in. Wow. And coming, yes, ma'am, coming as a special needs parent, I hate that number. I hate that it's so high, and I wish that I could put every one of them to work today because they all, our tagline, well, I'll talk about the name. It's Special Needs and Treats Incorporated, and I really feel God gave me that name. I woke up one morning and I had it. And I'm like, special needs, because our kids are special needs, but we don't make bread, that kind of bread. But, you know, we are all needing, being needed into something, you know, molded and needed. And Mm -hmm. everyone needs to be needed. Everyone needs to have a plan and a purpose for when they wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are trying to give our special needs adults that work here. And I call them kids all the time. You know, we have one gentleman, he's, I think, 40, but I still call them kids. Um, Mm -hmm. But it stems from my husband was the baseball commissioner here in Gwinnett County. And at one time, there were 208 families of special needs adults that played baseball. Our kids at the time, they really were kids. And all of us parents used to sit around and be like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're going to age out. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I've been doing cake decorating since I was 13, so I'm probably just going to open a bakery and... um, and we will let Bradley work there. And, you know, some people said, well, we're going to open a bed and breakfast or we could do this or that. Well, that was just always my plan. 
I had never known that it was going to be the plan that I wanted, that I was going to have more than Bradley working with me and giving away free cakes to the kids in our community because that's what the main part of the nonprofit is about. We have the special needs come in. I have some that are assistant bakers. I have some that are um, they can help decorate cakes. I have almost every one of them know how to sticker everything that we have in here. Yep. Um, so they're all throughout and washing dishes and sweeping floors, but they're all about the product that we are producing to give away free cakes to our local food cooperatives, foster care agencies, and they are all a part of that. And every day when they come in, they do have something that they are able to do. Um, and talking about Bradley, Bradley works Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We did figure out real fast that he cannot be here five days a week. Um, but when he comes in, he has his little job that he does. We have checklists. He can't, he can't read them. He knows what certain ones are going to say because he's seen it so much that repetitiveness is there. Um, but he comes in, he washes the glass, he uh, makes sure the signs get put out, um, he makes sure that the drinks are restocked. Um, he helps with the dishes, just wherever he needs to be helped. He, you know, whether help is needed, he will be there to help it. Okay. And he loves it. Um, a lot of people come in and see him. His friends from church come in and see him, and he just he thinks it's great. Um, as as all of the kids do, they just they love to come in and they love to go to work. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. And I I, want, I have some follow up questions. So Tempa, um, okay. do you also have job coaches or something similar to that role, um, helping some of the indiv- some of the people that work there and volunteer? volunteer there um, to complete their tasks, or is everybody coming in independently and or with a family member? Well, I I wish that I had the money for a, um, a job coach, yeah. but I do not. Okay. Um, I, I do have some that do have to have help. Right now, I have one volunteer who is a retired um, special needs teacher, and he comes in and helps on Wednesdays. I have a husband and wife team that works on Tuesday mornings and Thursday afternoons, and they have also gotten to, and she's a retired teacher. Um, and they have gotten to the point where they can help. But whenever, like, I have 198 on the waiting list, and yeah. then we reach that next person on the waiting list, we do not turn them away. We have people in wheelchairs. We have people in walkers. We have hearing impaired. We have vision impaired. Um, we have some that have very low motor skills. Um, but then we have some that are very high-functioning autism. They go to college. They come out of their shell. I mean, they work up front. They take care of customers. They run the cash register. So we have the gamut of of being, um, you know, with disabilities. It doesn't matter what the disability is. We're going to find the ability that you can do. And mm. everybody has that ability. Yeah. But so the next person on my list, um, if I'm not mistaken, is another um, individual in a wheelchair. And, you know, we're prepared for that. So when we come in, we try them at all different jobs. Mm-hmm. And we will find something that fits. Some of them do inventory because they don't like to be out front with people. Um, some of them like to work in the kitchen, but some of them thrive on being out front. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it just depends. Um, and if they, if when we bring them in, if they do require that job coach, it's listed on our little form that they fill out, mm-hmm. and we have to know that going in. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Um, since you have 198 people on the waiting list, um, obviously there's a desire. You've branded yourself throughout your community well, so there's people who know that it, you're, you know, that special needs and treats exist and that they want to be a part of it. What is what is entry or the movement from the wait list to becoming an employee or a volunteer? Is that based on somebody who's currently there moving on to something else? Or are you expanding at a rate where you can actually periodically bring new people on? 
And this this is another thing where we're very different. Once I get them in here, if they don't want to leave, they don't have to leave mm-hmm. because it's not helping the problem. Right. I am not, and there's nothing wrong with a beginning, middle, and end training program because we need those too. Mm-hmm. But when I hear of kids that are going through a beginning, a middle, and an end, and after the end they're still setting at home, we're not helping the problem. Right. So we've had some that have been with us for four and a half years. Now, for us, in order for us to really pull that list down, I hate to say it, but it takes money because we would have to have money to open other locations. And we have to have help and legal and knowing that we're doing everything right to be able to open more locations to get that list pulled down. Because some of the people on our list don't even live within 30 miles of us. Because it would be our goal that we would be able to go into every city that's around us. We would be able to go into every county. We would like to go into other states Mm -hmm. because it's needed everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are just so many special needs adults that are sitting at home doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And they can work. Oh my gosh, they I have know. so much talent. <laughs> I know, absolutely. And and want to work and um yes, but need to you yes. know, need need to be in an environment that uh is is open to what you said before that of their different abilities and not just closed off yes, to ma'am. it has to be one way. Um so right. so I wanna point out one thing and then we have to get ready to wrap up. But the um right. the thing one thing that you said before, I wanna I just wanna highlight this. Um so many times the people that uh you know, people like Bradley, for example, um, yourselves, it's his family, the, the people, the other people who are employed and volunteering at Special Needs and Treats are often the recipients of charity, the recipients of, of um, the, you know, the services that nonprofits provide. What I want to point out is that you said that, that the main goal of Special Needs and Treats is to give away cakes to people and the kids in the community, and you named one in particular that really stood out to me, which is foster homes. Well, it's just, it's very touching to me. I just always appreciate it when people who have their own challenges and their own special needs have an opportunity to help um, and support other people who are facing their other own, you know, different special needs and different challenges. I think there's something very special in that. And it it, it makes it so the world seems a little bit more balanced as opposed to always being so one-sided that it's the people who, you know, sort of have everything that are, you know, um, are sort of looked at as you should be helping everybody else. It's like, no, every, there's joy in helping people. There's meaning. Right. You said before, yep. people, all people, you know, have the right to wake up in the morning and have a purpose and a meaning in their life. And I love that that's part of what your organization is doing in addition to providing employment and vocational opportunities for the people who work there. So I think it's great. Thank you. We um, uh, To date, we have given away um, right over 2,000 cakes. Um, since we opened, we got our incorporation in 2013, but we opened in January of 2014. So we just celebrated six years. And we, like I said, it's a little over 2,000 cakes that we've given away. And to see some of the smiles on the faces of yeah. the kids. Yeah. Um, and that one of, one of the ladies from the food co-op, which they work a lot with foster care as well, mm-hmm. but she said the thing that you're also doing that you don't realize you're doing is you are giving empowerment to the parents. She said, you are letting them make the decision. You're, they're able to call you and pick between a vanilla and a chocolate. And they can pick between the icing of vanilla or chocolate. And they can get four design choices. She said, you're giving them freedom to do that. And she said, that helps to build them back up as well. Because you don't know where they are in their walk or their struggle as why they're getting services from the food co-op. And we, our church deals a lot with foster care. And that's why I got into that. Because me and my husband were just driving one day to pick up 
products. And I'm like, Mike, we're, we need to hit the foster care agency. So we immediately contacted the ones that our church deal with. Mm-hmm. And we want to do more. We want to get out there and do more. And we have the space to do more. We're in a 12,000-square-foot building. We're only using about 6,000 of it. Um, my kitchen is 2,600 square feet, where my other location where we started was 300 square feet. Right. So we are primed and ready. We we know that we can crank out cakes. I mean, I can decorate. I can ice and decorate a cake in under six minutes. <laughs> you know, so I know that I could be doing. I've been doing this a long time. It's like second nature. But I know I could be giving away a lot more, and it just takes the support of people and getting the story out there and this is why when people contact us I will talk to anybody regardless well, of if you're in New York because you don't know who you're going to hit. No, absolutely <laughs> not and and we are a podcast and you're going to get a link to this interview and, and you know I will say that I think it does take that level of support. Um, we have to wrap up. I just want to thank you for what you're okay. doing. Please listeners go check out specialneedsandtreats.org and see where you can get involved in supporting. Obviously you're, you and, and Mike, your husband are people who want to see growth, you want to continue doing what you're doing, and you want to impact more people, both as employees and volunteers, and also as the recipients of these beautiful, delicious cakes. So thank you, Tempa Kohler, for what you're doing, and please visit specialneedsandtreats.org. Thank you so much for having us. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and remember, Anderson Cares. You've been listening to 1 in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week. 